0: Mother's Day was a few weeks ago, if you remember that, and, uh, and Mother's Day is sort of one of those special days, isn't it? Because what do we do? We celebrate moms on Mother's Day, and we tell moms, we love you, we care for you, you're beautiful, you're amazing. We lavish them with gifts and cards and flowers and maybe trips to Tahiti, whatever, the, whatever you like to do for your mom, but we, we just love to tell them how much we care about them and we love them. And here's what we do for Mother's Day. We ask moms, hey moms, what do you want to do for that Sunday? And you know what most moms will say? I want to go to church. And you're like, well, I don't go to church. We're like, well, I want you to go to church with me that day. And so moms will grab their little their little group of people and all their family members and, and all their kids and all their grandkids and maybe grandkids or great grandkids and, and you'll bring them to church because mom's what? You're proud, right? It's my family. I love them, I care about them. They're special. And so there's all these smiles on moms' faces on Mother's Day. Did you know that Mother's Day behind Christmas and Easter services are the most highly attended worship services of the year what makes sense right because mom's like we're bringing everybody do you know what the least attended church service is of the year <laughs> Father's Day hey dad what do you want to do stay home play golf go out to eat I don't want to go to church which is kind of interesting, right? Because dads aren't like, hey, we're going to get everybody, and I'm going to go to church. Let's bring everybody with us. I think the reason is, is because something happens to pastors on Father's Day. Mom's Day, we're like, moms are beautiful. They're amazing. They're great. Dads, you're horrible. You're terrible. You're lazy. You're a workaholic. I mean, we just, we just bash guys, right? And so guys decide, hey, I don't want to be a part of that. I'll, I'll just stay home. Today we began this brand new series called The Warrior and as we start this series, this series you need to know is all for men, okay? It's for men. We are focusing on men for the next few weeks. And then let me tell you why we're doing that. A couple statistics I find pretty, pretty powerful. The first one is on any given Sunday morning in any church, you'll find about 61% of the people that are in attendance are female. 39% are male. That, that tells me that faith isn't very important to men anymore. But there's another statistic I found, some research that was done by by some people in Switzerland a few years back. They asked this question, Does the religious practice of the father determine the future attendance in church of the children? Let me read some of these stats to you. They said if moms attend on a regular basis and dads do not attend regularly, which means they show up a few times a year, 3% of their children when they become adults will be regular church attenders. 59% 59% will be irregular. They found if mom attends church on a regular basis, but dad is non-practicing, 2% of their children will attend church on a regular basis. 37% will go to church irregularly. Here's the kicker. If mom is non-practicing, which means mom doesn't show up at church at all, but dad goes to church on a regular basis, 44% of those children will attend church On a regular basis when they become adults. Why is it important that we focus on men for a series this year? Because men, we have a lot of power over a lot of people. And there are a lot of people that are looking up to us. There's no reason that we should see such a huge percentage of, of women versus men when it comes to church on a Sunday morning. There's no reason that we should see these kind of numbers when it comes to the faith of our children years from now. And so over the next few weeks, we are going to talk to men. Now, some of you ladies here are like, why are you doing that? Why can't this just be for everybody? And then that's the reason why. But I can promise you this, two things. One, we're not going to bash men. Secondly, ladies, every single week, you're going to be able to take something with you. It's going to help you too. But I see the importance of focusing on men for a period of time to see if we can build our spiritual lives in such a way that we can be, guys, the men God has created us to be. Well, as we start this series this week, we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Nehemiah. It's in the Old Testament. Um, Nehemiah was written about 2,500 years ago. The events take place about 2,500 years ago. It's actually a diary. It's a, it's a journal of Nehemiah. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles there in front of you. You can take one of those. If you don't have a Bible at home, if you lost your Bible, if you have a friend that wants a Bible, take that for free. That is yours. We'll put it up on the screens. You can also follow along on your Journey Church app, and you can take uh, notes there, and then also on the back of your program. But we're going to be looking at a portion of the story out of Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah 1, starting with verse 1. Here's what it says. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hacaliah. Now, it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hen and I, I worked on that a long time. That was really hard when to keep saying it. One of my brothers... He came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. Nehemiah is Jewish. He's not a prophet, but he has a pretty high-ranking job within the kingdom of Persia. He is the cupbearer to the king. The king's name is Artaxerxes, which means that for Nehemiah, he basically, he runs the winery. Some of you in here are like, that'd be kind of a cool job to have, right? But that's what he does. He runs the winery. He takes care of all the wine. And, and in fact, his biggest job is, and this is why he was so trusted, he would taste the wine before he would give it to the king. If he tasted it and he fell over dead, everybody was like, oh, poisonous, don't drink that. As long as he lived, everything was fine. And so this is why he was such a trusted official within the government. But he's in a different country. He's in a different place. He's under a foreign leader. So, he, In fact, he's, he's kind of a slave. So he really can't get away from his, his day-to-day job. So he has visitors that come from Jerusalem. One's his brother, and one's his bro-friends. And so these guys all show up, and I'm assuming that one evening they're sitting around the, the fire pit, maybe drinking some of the, the wine, smoking some stogies, and man, they're just talking about life. They're, they're reminiscing about what life was like back in Jerusalem. They're, they're talking about people that they, they know. I mean, they're, they're just reminiscing about life in general. And as we're talking about this, maybe we're talking about their fantasy football lineup, because this right here in this time it happened during the, the winter time. Nehemiah asked this pretty important question. He's like, hey, how's life back in Jerusalem? Now, when you get together with people that are from your hometown or that have visited your hometown, this is a normal question to ask, right? How's so and so doing? Is that Waffle House? Is it still over in the corner? We used to go there after all the football games, remember that? Hey, how's my ex-girlfriend? Did she ever get married? I mean, what's going on there? I mean, these are the questions we ask, right? Because we want to know. The question that Nehemiah asks here is much deeper. In 586 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, comes into Jerusalem and just demolishes the city. But he takes with him slaves, mostly the the key officials, the nobles, the royalty of Jerusalem, and he takes them back to Babylon. This is known as the exile. And so when you hear people talking about the exile, you read about in Scripture, this is the moment we're talking about. But here's Jerusalem. It's been destroyed. It's been torn up. We're 141 years later. This is about 445 BC. We have Nehemiah here in this moment, and he's asking a question about the city. What is happening within the city? How are things back in our hometown? Now, over time, there's sort of been this wave of, of groups of people from Jerusalem who were in Babylon who have moved back to Jerusalem. They've tried to rebuild, but they've been pretty apathetic. And in fact, they don't have a strong leader. And here's the response that Nehemiah gets from his buddies. Verse 3. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. This buddy's like, hey, it's, it's bad. But whatever you can imagine, however terrible you can imagine it being, that's exactly like it is. The, the gates' walls are crumbling. Uh, or, or the, the gates themselves, they're, they're burned to the ground. The, the city's a mess. People are vulnerable. Uh, nobody really knows what to do. Here's Nehemiah's response in verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah hears those words and he loses it. He weeps. He's crying. His heart is broken. And, and as we look forward a little bit into Nehemiah chapter 1, we find he actually does this for three to four months. He's just praying and fasting, praying and fasting. If you remember our last series on Ruth in Ruth chapter three, we talked about making godly, calculated risk, and we said sort of the path that we take there is we pray, we uh, seek advice, we plan, and then we take action. And, and Nehemiah is doing that. He's praying, like God, what can we do? What can what can happen here? How, how can how can we fix this travesty? Finally, Nehemiah gets an opportunity to go to the king, and the king's like, hey, what's going on? And Nehemiah says, well, here's what's going on in my hometown. And the king's like, hey, go back. Why don't you go back? Why don't you check things out? And then, if you need to, you can, you can rebuild it. He gives him permission to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. Sounds like a great thing. Now, is the king doing this because he's compassionate? And he's like, oh, man, one of my guys, he's just really sad. No, this is actually a strategic move by him. Uh, You have Babylon, you have Egypt, which was a key place in that time. And Jerusalem kind of set right in the middle. And so to have someone he trusted like Nehemiah in that position was key for the king. So Nehemiah actually becomes the governor of Judea. He's like, this is just a strategic political move for me. For Nehemiah, it's not strategic. It's not political. These are his people. This is his God. And so he wants to go back and take care of what's happening there. In our story, we find there are enemies that are lurking, and they're doing everything they can to stop this building project. And they're trying to do that with swords and words. And, and the people that are working on the project, as you can imagine, not real happy. They're, they're starting to get down. They're being negative. And, and we see some of that in Nehemiah chapter 4. If you scoot to chapter 4, verse 10. It says, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is given out. And there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. It started as a building project. Everything was great and dory right? Now all of a sudden, it's become a cause to fight for. And Nehemiah says, man, this is your cause this is why you live. This is why you exist. This is why you breathe. And now here's what you need to do. Fight for it. Every time I read those words, I'm like, let's go. What do we need to do? I don't care. Just just leave me. Let's go make this happen. I think of Nehemiah, or like in today's time, he'd be doing a TED Talk Jerusalem, right? We'd be hey, go watch the Nehemiah video from Jerusalem. It was great. He's a motivational speaker, living in a van probably down by the river, Some of you will get that later on today. Nehemiah says this is the cause and this is what we're going to fight for. You know, when I think about some of the greatest guy movies of all time, I think of movies like The Sound of Music, (laughs) The Vow, The Notebook. Every time I bring up The Notebook, it's so funny to me because... There's always like five or six guys like, dude, that's actually one of my favorite movies. I'm not making fun of you, all right? Just know that. It's just not, probably wasn't made quite for men to go watch, but if you like it, no problem at all. Here's the deal. Any movie that has the in front of it's probably not a guy movie, all right? I'm just going to throw that out there. See, we like movies like Gladiator, Braveheart, and 300 is on my list too. So we, we need those one word titles because that's about all we can handle, right guys? So we got Gladiator, right? And there's a scene where Maximus is there and he's getting ready to fight. What does he do? Gets down in the dirt, grabs the dirt, rubs it in his hand. And then we watch Braveheart. And we have William Wallace who's, who's riding there in front of the troops and he's giving this impassioned speech about what they're getting ready to fight for and why. And we're like, let's go. And then in 300, we have that movie and we look at that and we're like, dude, how did those guys get so chiseled? I mean, that workout that they did. <laughs> how many of you did the 300 workout for a period of time? I did it like two days. And I can't feel my elbow, so I'm done. <laughs> but it wasn't, I mean, it was partly about their abs. But, but more than that, it was like, why would 300 men give their lives to that particular cause? See, we look at a guy movie, and, and I look at those three movies right there, and there's a common theme. They all had a cause to fight for, and they were willing to do whatever it took to fight for that cause, which meant for, for many of them, giving up their lives. That's my question to us guys here today. What is the cause, gentlemen, that you and I will fight for? Now, I know there are things in life that drive us, that excite us, that move us. I get that, but I'm not talking about for a moment, okay? I'm talking about a lifetime. What cause are you willing to fight for for a lifetime, not just for a short period of time? Because we, guys, we need a cause to fight for. We need something to focus on. We need something to fight for. That's why I love Nehemiah's words there. I mean, look at those words again. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. As I look at that passage right there, as I read that over and over and over again, I see three things that I think we can pull out of this. Now, gentlemen, warriors, this is for you. Ladies, I can promise you, you're going to pull something out of this too. Here's the first thing that I would say that I find here in what Nehemiah says focus on Jesus. His first words there, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. He's like, focus on God. For us, we would say focus on Christ. Sometimes, gentlemen, though, we have a problem when it comes to focus. We get easily distracted, right? Um, Hey, guys, have you ever been sitting on the sofa? Your wife, girlfriend, fiance sitting there beside you. Maybe TV's on. And... um, And all of a sudden, she starts talking to you about this really significant, in-depth things that are happening in her life. And we're listening, right? We're listening to all the voices in our head that are talking to us about everything else that's going on. We're listening to what's on the TV. Maybe you're even thinking about what you need to do tomorrow, right? And what does she always say after a few moments? You're not listening to me. Gentlemen, God has gifted us with something that I find Amazing. When she says you're not listening to me, we're able to recall the last four points verbatim every single time. <laughs> right? Verbatim, and we're like, you said blah 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 and blah blue blah, blah, and this and this and that and that and she's like, Ah I hate you for that. You know, they get infuriated in that moment. It's like, well, I can't help it. It's just a gift that I have to be able to do that. <laughs> or when we start the conversation, you grab the remote, you turn it off, and you turn, you face her, talk to me. What happens then? You're just making fun of me, and then they get mad at us and that. So there's like a no win situation right here, right? Here's my point. Gentlemen, we get easily distracted. Our focus needs to be on Jesus, and yet we get so easily distracted. And here's the deal the enemy knows that. And so the enemy's going to fight against that to keep us from focusing on Christ. I love what John Eldridge, the author of Wild at Heart, said. He said, The story of your life is the story of. The long and brutal assault on your heart by the one who knows what you could be and fears it. Easiest way to mess with a cause is to distract us from that cause. Gentlemen, maybe work has your full attention. Maybe there's a hobby that you spend all your time being a part of Maybe it's an addiction that you just keep going to over and over and over again. Maybe there's someone else. So gentlemen, you know, we, we get easily distracted from being the men that God has created us to be. So we cannot lose focus on Christ. I love these words out of Deuteronomy chapter 20. It says, today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not be terrified or give way to panic before them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. Let God lead us forward by focusing on Jesus. Second thing I would say is that we have to be willing to name our cause. We gotta name our cause. Without the right cause, we'll be distracted, but here's the other thing we see with men. We get bored, and we start to fight for the wrong things. In the New Testament, in the book of Acts, we find a guy whose name is Saul. He later on becomes Paul. And here's what we find out about him in Acts 8.3. It says, But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Paul had a cause to fight for, but he was fighting for the wrong things. Sometimes, gentlemen, we find ourselves in that place. In fact, it's something I see over and over and over again with men. That if we're not fighting for the right things, if we have no cause to fight for, we'll get bored. And when men get bored, men make bad decisions. And when men make bad decisions, we're destructive. We we destroy relationships. We destroy our marriages. We destroy our dating life. we, We destroy the work that we have because we get bored and we have no cause to fight for. We begin to be destructive in our lives. That's why Nehemiah says, hey, here's the deal. You got to fight but here's your cause it's your families it's your spouse it's your kids it's your neighbor it's your home it's your people it's your God those are the things that you are fighting for that is your cause and in fact if you look at Nehemiah Nehemiah hears the story about what's happening back in Jerusalem he gets the details and what does he say nobody's doing anything He's like, somebody has got to do something. And so he goes to the leaders. He goes to them in there. He's like, we got to fight. This is why we are here. This is our cause. And they jumped in and they did exactly what Nehemiah said. Gentlemen, I believe man, um, God has given each one of us a warrior's heart. I do. I, I believe we are all given a warrior's heart. The question is, what cause are we fighting for? Your marriage? Your kids? Maybe a family relationship that's broken. Maybe it's somebody you gotta fight for. Someone who's hurting and in pain, and you gotta fight for that person. That's your cause. Maybe, gentlemen, it's, it's me. Maybe I've gotta fight for myself. Maybe my heart and my soul, they're not in the right place. Maybe that's the cause I gotta fight for. But if we focus on Jesus, we have to secondly name our cause, because if we don't, we'll get distracted, we'll get bored, and we'll become destructive. Name that cause. And then lastly, fight. Fight. In uh, the martial arts world, there are two main weapons, the nunchaku and the bow. These were just threshing tools. It wasn't like when you were in uh, a farmer back in the day and and you were out in the field and, you know, an enemy came. You couldn't say, like, hey, time out a second. I need to run back to my house. I got a weapon stash there, so I'm going to go pick those up and then I'll be back and this will be a fair fight, right? You couldn't do that. You, You fought with what you had. And so here, this gentleman, he, this farmer, he had, his, he had his threshing tool. He had this bow, which is a six-foot-long pole that you would carry water on. He had his hands, his body. He fought with what he had, and he was always prepared to fight. And I'm not sure, gentlemen, if we're really ever prepared to fight. We'll say, hey, I'm focused on God. We'll, we'll, we'll say, hey, I know what my cause is, but are we willing to fight? One of the things that I struggle with within the Christian uh, world and Christendom is that men specifically, and I think all of us really, we're taught to be passive. We're taught to be real passive. Like that's, that's a characteristic we should have. And so if we're passive and we're nice, people walk over us. If we're passive and we're kind, people take advantage of us. I'm not saying don't be nice and kind to people, right? That's not my point here. What I'm saying is sometimes we've got to fight. Now, I'm not talking like church fight club type thing, all right? <laughs> so when you walk out in the parking lot today, you go knock some dude's Bible out, like, let's go. Let's rumble. That's what we're told to do. <laughs> I'm not talking about that. Now, sometimes we do have to get physical. When we're protecting somebody, we care about family member, friend, even people we don't know. There are moments we've got to jump in and save them or protect them. There are moments we've got to use our physical body. I'm talking about something different than that. Sometimes there are moments that we have to fight and we can't be passive. And I'm going to tell everybody in this room something I think is so true. Jesus was not passive. He wasn't. Go back and read the stories of Jesus and the Gospels. Here's what you'll find. Jesus was not passive. Here's what Jesus had. Jesus had a cause to fight for. And he fought for the right cause. It's very different. Sometimes you and I, we can't be passive We have to fight, and once we have that cause, we need to be sure that we're not just saying this is my cause and be done. We have to say this is my cause, and now I'm going to fight. Guys, it may be your marriage. Your marriage may be hanging on by a thread, and maybe mentally you're starting to check out, and maybe you're already starting to begin to think, what are my next steps here to get out of this marriage? Can Can I push you a little bit? Can I tell you to make that your cause and to fight for it? Don't give up on it. Fight for it. Tell, tell your wife, I, I, I'm going to fight for this. I'm going to do everything I can to, to make this right again, to make this whole, to, to rebuild this. And fight for it. Which, gentlemen, that may mean that you go to her and say, hey, I think we should go to counseling. And you know what she may say? I don't want that. I don't think, I, I think we're done. You know what you say? That's fine. I'm going to go to counseling myself. Now, some guys will hear that and are like, well, that's weak. That's not weak. That's actually being a warrior. That's being strong. That's saying, I know my weaknesses. And any good warrior knows their weaknesses and knows what they need to work on. Maybe you got to fight for your marriage, guys. Maybe it's your kids. You need to fight for your kids. You work all the time. And I know living in an area like this, we're busy. We're traveling. Things are crazy. But maybe you need to fight for your kids. Maybe your kids are out of the house. There's still this tension. There's this barrier that's there between you and them. Look, don't give up on them just because they don't live with you anymore. Fight for them. Make that your cause. Fight for that relationship. Maybe it's somebody. Maybe it's somebody you know that's hurting, struggling. Maybe that's who you got to fight for. Make them your cause. Maybe it's something like your finances. Maybe you got to fight for that credit score. And again, maybe it's, it's me. Maybe it's my heart and my soul, maybe my body. I need to fight for that. Make that your cause and then begin to fight for it. Don't be passive. Don't say, I'll get to it someday. Don't just let it sit there. Don't just say it, but do it. And begin to fight for the cause. When that happens, it changes who we are spiritually, especially when that focus is on Christ. And those statistics that we saw a little bit earlier, I think they would totally change. I think we could find a change in people's lives, a transformation in people's lives because of men saying, this is my cause, and I am going to fight for it because I am focused on Jesus. We have to be careful, though, because sometimes we can get away from that. But what cause are you willing to fight for? Jack Whitaker woke up on Christmas morning, 2002, A different man than the night before, he had won the Powerball lottery. $315 million was what he had won. I think at that point, the highest amount that had ever been paid out for a lottery. He took home $113 million. With that money, here's what he did. He, uh, he set up the Jack Whitaker Foundation. The reason was everybody came to him like, hey, we need some money. And now all of a sudden you've got all this money. So he sets up this foundation. He gave away $50 million to family, to friends, to strangers. They bought cars. They bought homes, bought anything you can imagine. He just gave them cash, $50 million. Uh, up until that point, his company was known to be very reputable. He, he was known to be a good Christian businessman. He won the money. 400 lawsuits came right at him. All these people that said you were great all of a sudden said you're a horrible guy. We want your money now. $3 million he spent on that. He um, didn't really have a cause to fight for. And so here he was with all this money, all these things that we would think would just make you perfectly happy. He started drinking heavily. Would go to strip clubs constantly. So he's wasting spending all this money in his life. He had a granddaughter named Brandy he was very close to. She was 17 years old, and as you can imagine, as a grandfather, he starts giving her tons and tons of money. And as a 17-year-old kid, she began to spend it on cars, material things, and drugs. Two years after what should have been the highlight of his life winning that lottery, he experienced the, the lowest part of his life. They found Brandy dead, wrapped up in a plastic sheet, And she had been put away behind a burnt out van. She was dead. In an ABC News interview, Jack says this My wife had said she wished that she had torn the ticket up. I wish that we had torn the ticket up too. Family is what is dear. I don't know where it'll end, but you know, I just don't like Jack Whitaker. I don't like the hard heart I've got, I don't like what I've become. Jack Whitaker said that um, winning that lottery ticket wasn't the best thing that ever happened to him. In fact, he called it the worst thing, and he called it a curse. I I, I think about his story there, and I think to myself, I I feel pain and hurt for Jack Whitaker, but I don't want to be Jack Whitaker. I want to be the man that God has created me to be. I want to live that out in my life. And my guess is that many guys in here, you want the exact same thing which means we've got to be focused on Christ, which means we've got to name that cause, which means we've got to fight. We've got to fight. Gentlemen, can we stop being passive? Can we take on the heart of the warrior and name that cause, fight for it, with our focus on Christ? We can start doing that today. Gentlemen, I want to invite you to something on June 30th, Saturday morning, 9 to 10:30 30 a.m. We're starting our rebooting our men's ministry here at The Journey. And over the, the next few months and years, we're just going to be talking about what does it look like to be an authentic man? What does it look like to be a man of God, to be the man that God has created us to be? We're going to do breakfast here in this room. We're going to hang out. We're going to spend time together. And we're going to really try to build us to be the men that, that we're intended to be. I hope you'll be a part of that. We'll get more information out to you in the next couple of weeks. But it all begins by having a cause as a warrior. And ladies, you may be here today thinking, well, how does this pertain to me? (laughs) Hey, we can have lady warriors too. You can focus on Christ, you can name that cause, and you can fight too. What does it look like for us to begin to do that today? This morning, we take communion together as a church community, and this was God's fight for us. Through Christ, (laughs) God said, my cause is my people, and I'm going to fight by sending my son to this earth to die, to come back to life, to give them freedom.